eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. You know we emanate from downtown Nashville, a lot of traffic around here. The other day, one of the Bachelorette buses blew its horn at me, and that, to this point, had been the worst day of my week. But this is worse. I hate being wrong. People, I hate it, hate it, hate it, hate it. And I was wrong. You heard those words correctly. I was wrong. It is the Late Kick Extra podcast. It is Thursday. It is April 27th, the year of our Lord, 2023. Some may call it NFL Draft Day. It's just another day in a no-off-season approach for us. What was I wrong about? Well, I didn't really think Tyler Buckner was headed to Alabama. But Tyler Buckner's headed to Alabama. Tyler Buckner did not win the starting job at Notre Dame, and he is now transferring to Alabama. This is a surprise to me. I did not expect this, but I will tell you what I think, since many are gathered around to watch me suffer. There were a few things I said about this. If you were following last what is it, last Tuesday's show, I said I thought that there were better fits in the SEC even than Alabama for Tyler Buckner. And that was because Auburn has a wide open path to being a starting quarterback. I think Florida has a wide open path to being a starting quarterback. Both of those programs had been mentioned to me early on. Alabama had been mentioned too. So now that it's all over, to paint a pretty clear picture of what I was talking about, I had Alabama mentioned to me. I expected him to take the visit that he took. What I thought was going to happen is I thought Nick Saban wasn't going to extend an offer to him, or I thought he was going to look around and find far more desirable quarterback situations than the one at Alabama. I misread the situation. So now we have Tyler Buckner. I don't know if he's going to be the starting quarterback at Alabama, but I am of the opinion that you're not bringing a guy in after spring ball who clearly has starting aspirations to just provide you depth. So a number of things to talk about here. The first is, this is the biggest sign of vulnerability I've seen from Alabama in several years. Losing a game doesn't make you vulnerable. That's just stuff that happens. Uh, Having a bad day in the secondary, uh, not coming up with a key stop on fourth down, those sorts of things are called football, and that stuff happens to even the best of programs out there. Georgia may have that happen to them this year for all we know. Bama's won championships, and even within that run, they've had some years where things weren't exactly perfect. This is different. This isn't losing a football game. This is a sure sign of vulnerability. Doesn't mean they can't overcome it. 
But this is the biggest sign of vulnerability I've seen from Alabama as a program in a long time because I want you to think about this for a second. You had two quarterbacks, four-star caliber or higher, that you handpicked and have been in the program multiple years. They went through spring. There was no catastrophic injury for either one of them. And you come out of spring and you have to look in the mirror and admit to yourself, we don't have either one of them as ready as we want to have them to the point where we got to go get Notre Dame's backup quarterback to come in here. That's vulnerability. That is being in a bad place. Now, they still got a stacked roster. That doesn't mean Bama's going 7-5 and five or anything this year. But it does mean for all those out there who always want to assure themselves Nick Saban has a plan, I'm sure this is all just going according to plan. This isn't Nick Saban's plan. No one in their right mind plans to run their program this way. I don't care if you're a mid-tier program, but especially if you're an alpha program, this isn't, this isn't in the cards. This is not how you draw it up. And the other thing that really stands out to me as a result of Tyler Buckner transferring to Alabama is, t- what I guess the 2020, the 2023 season is riding on Tommy Reese. Tommy Reese just called the biggest shot for Alabama in 2023. That's the new offensive coordinator there. Now, for anyone who's going to yell at me, well, Tommy Reese can't do anything Nick Saban doesn't let him do. Of course you're right. Of course Nick Saban's the ultimate guy who signs off on all the moves there. There's no one in their right mind who would convince me Alabama was going to go after Tyler Buckner in the portal if Tommy Reese wasn't at Alabama, his former offensive coordinator, who probably stood on every table in that building imaginable and fought for him to get an offer. And he's got the offer now. So Tommy Reese made the biggest call for this team this year. How's it going to work out? Well, we're recording this thing on Thursday morning. I expect that we'll see some portal activity. That's not information. That's just guided instinct. I don't think that Jalen Milrow and Ty Simpson are both going to stay at Alabama. I also think that if you look at the SEC now, Georgia obviously has established themselves, but last year we had a weird year in the West where Bama's the overwhelming favorite and LSU wins it. Bama loses a couple of games on the last play of the game. LSU wins it. And there was this feeling that, okay, that's, that's nice for LSU, but you know, Bama will be back. Will they though? And when I say back, I don't mean will they be good. Yeah, they'll be good. But are they, are they going to ascend to a position, the likes of which we've seen them in the past, where they are the predominant, overwhelming, alpha favorite in the division, and any outcome other than Alabama being in Atlanta is this massive upset? I don't know. I don't know about that. But I will tell you this. Texas is coming in there in week two. And that's already been a very tasty line for a lot of people out there. Texas is going to be a single-digit underdog. They already were going to be a single-digit dog at Alabama. And I, I'm not telling you that line's going to move to where Texas is a favorite or anything like that. But if you'll recall last year how close that game was with Quinn Ewers out for most of the second, third, and fourth quarter. And then if you'll recall what we thought we knew about Bama, and then in light of what has recently transpired... This season gets really interesting. And this is not the only program with quarterback turnover. Georgia's got to start a new one. Ohio State's got to start a new one. Uh, And that's why you look at a program like a USC or a program like a Texas. And even if, well, Caleb Williams is insanely good. But even if you don't think a Quinn Ewers is the best you've ever seen, hey, at least there's some continuity. At least he's done it before. At least Texas isn't having to dip into the portal after spring for a quarterback. Uh, the The other thing that I want to touch on here is 
The other reason that I thought they'd be good enough, they being Alabama, the reason I thought Bama was already good enough at quarterback with Simpson or Milrow is because I didn't think they needed a 4,500-yard passer this year. I didn't think they needed a Heisman-caliber quarterback this year. I think they'll be able to play a style of football uh, that I've loosely compared to Georgia, and then people have called me on it and said, well, Georgia threw the ball more than they, than they ran the ball last year. Yeah, I know. Uh, when I say a style of play, that includes defense too. That includes a complimentary choose your approach because your defense allows you to and be ultra-physical in the process uh, brand of football. I thought Alabama could do that this year. And, and for the record, I still kind of believe Nick Saban has seen what Kirby Smart's done and said, well, hey, if that style works still, and I wasn't convinced it did for a little while, but if that style still works, I can do that. I'm not convinced he doesn't still feel that way. Maybe he just feels Tyler Buckner's the, the better captain of a ship that goes that direction. I looked at Bama, though, and I said, man, I think that secondary is going to be really good. I think that running back core is going to be really good. I love Bama's offensive line. They had the pieces to where I was not panicking about these quarterbacks and not lighting the world on fire during A-Day like everyone else was. Maybe everyone else was right and I was wrong. Who knows? But Tyler Buckner to Alabama, that is a big surprise. That is a major, major like blockbuster portal move. And it's one that a lot of folks saw coming and I didn't see coming, I guess, because maybe I was willfully blind to it. It's not like it wasn't rumored. I just didn't believe the rumors and the rumors were true. All right, there's that. I guess we don't, we don't always have breaking news to lead off the Late Kick Extra Pod, but we had it. What is the Late Kick Extra Pod? Well, it's what you're listening to, and I thank you for doing that. And please subscribe if you haven't already. I know you're listening because, well, this would be a moot point if you weren't. Or maybe a mute point would kind of be a mute point. But if you're listening, please subscribe. That's all I need you to do. Thank you. Oh, man, we say no off-season. And there's the proof, and here's more proof. Cade from Salt Lake City asked, are there any examples in the past of teams cleaning out the roster as quickly as Colorado has? Easiest answer in the world, Cade, no, period. But in the interest of putting together an entertaining product, let me take you a step further. I can't tell you how many times over the past week I have had people in the comment section, in my DMs, just good old-fashioned text messages on the iJosh, and they've said something that sounds like this. Oh, what's the big deal? This happens all the time. It doesn't, sir. It doesn't, ma'am. It's never happened before. Oh, please. Coaches clean out their roster all the time. Sir, ma'am, to repeat what I just said, that's true. They've never done it like this before. Oh, he told you it was going to happen. That doesn't make it any less unprecedented. If, if I tell you that I'm about to run a 3-9-40 and I do it, do you watch me peel off that 3-9-40 and then say, not a big deal. He said he was going to do it. It's a big deal. It's a really big deal. It's an unprecedented deal. We've played this sport for like 40 million years, give or take. We've never seen numbers like this. We've never seen 55 guys lost to the portal. We've never seen 30 portal additions. Dion's flipping 75 to 80% of a roster in the span of one calendar year. Never. It's never happened. And as a result, no one knows what to expect. And so when we've done segments on Dion in Colorado, there's this really weird thing that's happening. And I can only, I can only attribute this to people not watching or not listening and just talking. 
because otherwise we wouldn't get comments like this. So I've, we, did a, we did a segment on him the other night, and I, I looked in the comments on YouTube, and there were a lot of people saying, oh, you're about to eat your words. Eat what words? I didn't even say anything negative. I, I, it's like two plus two is four. Oh, you're going to be sorry you said that, buddy. What, math? All we did was present you the roster situation. You're going to eat those words. No, what happened is someone, or many someones, came along, didn't bother to listen to the video, just assumed someone was hating on Deion Sanders, and the Deion cult got in the comments and said what the Deion cult says. Anyone who's listened to me knows I, I'm kind of pulling for Deion Sanders, kind of like, kind of like him. Uh, his approach is controversial, but hey, his approach can be controversial. You've got many other programs out there you can go to if you don't like the way he does it and you don't like the way he's going about his business. That's fine. That's, that's fair. All's fair in loving college football, as Meemaw used to say. But what I would suggest is it is not sensationalizing things. It is not clickbaiting to say, wow, this is crazy. This is insanity. We've never seen anything like this. Sometimes it is sensationalizing or clickbaiting when people use that terminology because it should be reserved for moments like this, where they are apropos to a T. We had another Colorado question, and I want to just go ahead and loop it into this one. Colin, we can just make this one long video at the end if we want to. But someone else asked about Deion Sanders, and they were sort of talking in a different context. So, so far, people have just asked, hey, what about what Dion's doing out there? How crazy is it? How wild is it? But we had another question, and this question came to us from Athens, Georgia, and it was from James. He said, there's been a decent number of Colorado players enter the portal. The general football media seems to be pretty alarmed. Is it actually a cause for concern? This is a much tougher question to answer because like I said, we've never seen anything like this. Sometimes when things happen, you have a case study in history. And so if you don't know what to think, you just go back in history and say, well, let me see what happened there so I can have some guided knowledge and perspective on what may happen here. There's nowhere to go. Nowhere. In the history of college football, there's nowhere to go. And so instead, you're looking around and you're, you're hearing Deion Sanders say, it's not my first rodeo. Hey, it may not be, man, but you've never ridden a bull like this. You, you've never competed in this venue. You've never gone about it the way you're doing it right now. And I don't really... I don't really care to have people throw Jackson State in my face for many reasons. This is a totally different situation, and even here, the numbers dwarf what he did at Jackson State. I don't, I don't think I'd be alarmed, because alarmed would coincide with thinking that you're not going to be able to meet the standard that exists at a place. There is no standard at Colorado. Colorado was terrible. They won one game last year. So the worst that could happen this year is what? They just fall off a cliff? They're 2-10 or something like that? Hey, even that would be an improvement over last year. So alarmed is an interesting way to put it. If you're building this up in your mind to be a situation where Dion just resurrects a program overnight and they're going to a bowl game or they're winning seven or eight games, yeah, you should be alarmed, but not because of Dion Sanders' shortcomings or anything like that. You should be alarmed because you have too high an expectation level for this year. It's totally unreasonable to think that. But if you if you can do two things at once, if you can watch with amazement at what's happening, if you give a lot of attention to it, but also maintain some perspective on, well, yeah, I'm giving a lot of attention to it, but it's not because I think they're going to go eight and five or eight and four or whatever the case may be, then you'll be okay. So no, I wouldn't say be alarmed. How, having said that though, it, there's not all good or all bad here. 
This is not one of those, hey, Dion has a plan and everything that's happening is going to plan. Just like we talked about with Nick Saban. It's not Nick Saban's plan to have to take a quarterback after spring. That's not his plan. It's not Deion Sanders' plan to have every one of these guys exit via the portal. Uh, some of them, they very much wanted to keep. Others, they didn't want to keep. It was always going to be the approach that they were going to show a lot of kids at the door. Now, that much is true. But man, this, these, these numbers are insanity. Never thought I'd see anything like this. Even in the transfer portal era, I never thought I'd see anything like this. Um, I didn't send the question, but we had one more question from someone saying, is this going to be the norm now? No, no, I don't think you'll ever see this again, actually. I, because I don't ever think you'll get a coach with a profile as magnetic as Deion Sanders who takes a job as bad as Colorado. If you have, if you have a Lincoln Riley out there, he's going to take USC. And while USC may need to be overhauled, uh, it's going to pale in comparison to what Dion's doing. I mean, up until Dion got to Colorado, we were looking at what Lincoln Riley did last year and saying, can you believe these numbers? And then all of a sudden, Dion says, watch this. I don't think we'll ever see that again. So yeah, I don't, I, don't, I don't think you should be alarmed. I just don't think that you should take this to mean that, oh, 2023, we coming. Maybe. Maybe you're coming to three wins. Maybe that's what's happening. And we're going to learn a lot one way or the other. We're going to learn a lot. And if it is successful ahead of schedule, then you may, not, you may not like some of the paths that some people choose to go. But no, I don't think it's ever going to be the norm. I wanted to, uh, I wanted to bring you something, by the way. This has nothing to do with Deion Sanders, but I wanted to bring you something. So as you know, we do 95% college football on this show. Every now and then, some, some anecdote from my life just happens to seep its way in. And a lot of times, it's organic. I'll be talking about the Washington Huskies, and I'll have this random thought pop in my mind because that's just the way my mind works. And so the other day, I was talking to Dan Orlovsky. I think that's how that started. And it was on Twitter, so it was public, so everyone saw it. And Orlovsky gets hated on regularly for his his dietary routine, but I admire it because much like Dan Orlovsky, I just don't care about taste. It is strictly gasoline being put in the engine so the engine can run at peak efficiency. So I started to tell a story about my daily routine because Orlovsky was just saying, hey, I eat chicken breast. Don't care about any other part of the chicken. I don't care about sauce, nothing like that. I just want the chicken breast for the nutritional value, and then people called him non-human and all sorts of other things. And I looked at it and I said, wait a second, this sounds alarmingly close to what I do every day, except I take it a step further. So I told you what I do before every show is I'll go to the gym. I work at the downtown YMCA here in Nashville. A lot of room available these days, by the way. I hope you're listening in the control room. And then I go over to Publix and I get a rotisserie chicken and I bring it into the office and I eat it with my bare hands, but, but being the generous soul that I am, sometimes I'll give the legs to Junior Director Bradley, because he's a leg guy, and I'm just more a chicken breast guy. I was very careful with the wording to avoid an immunity. So, I told that story the other day, and a lot of you hated on me. That's your prerogative. You're, have, I'll have fun when I'm 147 years old and telling stories about how I used to know you guys, but you couldn't keep up with me. But anyway, one of you hit me up. And uh, Reed, Reed is this person's name. Reed from Washington, D.C. hits me up. And Reed says, this is not a question, 
But I took your advice this week, although I was skeptical at first, and I just straight up bought a rotisserie chicken and I ate it while watching Late Kick. I hadn't experienced that level of satisfaction since the national championship game, Go Dogs. So then I had to ask the logical follow-up question, which is, were utensils used or did you truly just go all in? And Reed responded. And he said, absolutely no utensils were used. I followed your lead. White t-shirt, paper towels, not napkins, and taking inspiration from your generosity of giving the legs to junior director Bradley, when I was done, I gave the carcass to my two cats who loved it. Way to go, Reed. That's what we call paid state material that borders on earning yourself a chalice of supremacy. Really proud. I just wish more of you people, before you hated on my approach to life, would try my approach to life. Not 100% of the time, because some of that will land you in jail, but this is not the worst idea in the world, is all I'm trying to tell you. Okay, let's get back on track here. Fayetteville, Arkansas, Mark chiming in. He said, how will history view the hierarchy of greatest coaches in this generation? I don't know if you realize how good a question this is, Mark. So right now you'd think to yourself, well, Nick Saban's way up there. Kirby Smart has emerged. Uh, Jim Harbaugh is doing some things that maybe even we didn't think he would do at Michigan a little while ago. Ryan Day still waiting on him to take the national championship step. Dabo Swinney had a national championship run going, has fallen off just a touch. But here we are. We're in 2023. So I'm going to assume this generation means like, let's say, a 15-year stretch. The answer is unknowable, which makes this so fun. So I think Nick Saban, he's got his legacy pretty well cemented. Nick Saban, we know, is going to be a legend until the end of time. Kirby Smart, even if he were to retire today, we would talk about him like we talk about Stone Cold Steve Austin. Hey, that, that white-hot star, it may not have burned for a decade and a half, but when it was on, it was on, and no one could beat it. Austin in the late 90s, early 2000s, Kirby in the early 2020s. So he's solidified himself. I think Dabo will be spoken about similarly with his run from, what, 2015 to around 2019. He had two championships, beat Nick Saban twice to do it. They were head-to-head -head with Bama, played him four years in a row at the height of the Nick Saban dynasty. No one had more success against him than Dabo Swinney. Two times in a championship situation, he beat Nick Saban. So that would be pretty well solidified. What we can't know is if we're talking to each other in 2050, we can't know what the rest of the Dabo story is. We can't know if we're going to say, Dabo, remember him? He won a couple of titles, had a great run in the teens, and then the early 20s, there was some transition, and then he got his act together, and they went on another run in the mid-2020s. We can't know that. We can't know with Kirby Smart if we'll say, hey, remember when Smart won those back-to-back -back titles, and it was just the beginning of him winning half a dozen over the next 15 years? Or might we say, remember when Smart won those two titles and we thought he was on his way to winning half a dozen, but then all these unforeseen circumstances popped up and he never won another one? You have no way of knowing. I think I have an idea that it will be a little more towards winning at least another one than not, but I can't know for sure. Lincoln Riley, how is history going to talk about him? In 2050, is Lincoln Riley the guy who showed up out of nowhere at Oklahoma, flashed on the national scene, rewrote the offensive record books, had Heisman quarterbacks and first-round draft picks. Then he went to USC, but they could never play defense. Defense kept him 
from winning a national championship. It was like the Phoenix Suns scenario from back in the day when I used to pay attention to the NBA. Man, they could put up like 130 a night, couldn't play defense. Therefore, didn't really do much in the NBA postseason. Is that what Lincoln Riley and USC will be? I don't know. I don't know because we're still, we're still in Natasha Bedingfield mode. The rest is still unwritten. Maybe the best is still unwritten. And then you've got guys like Ryan Day. Are we going to talk about how, well, it's history. Are you going to talk about him as being fool's gold who rode the Urban Meyer wave for a little while, but eventually he couldn't top Michigan and Jim Harbaugh overtook him and he was out of a job? Or is it going to be, hey, he's, he's kind of like Kirby Smart was. He, he got close a few times early, didn't do it, but then when he finally broke through, wow, he really broke through. We got all these coaches that we could talk about like that. And that's not even to mention some of the newer ones on the scene. How is history going to remember Mario Cristobal at Miami? There's no way to know that right now. Brent Venables at Oklahoma. Steve Sarkeesian at Texas. There's no way to know that right now. And if you think you do, I would, I would encourage you. Go back and look at some of the coaches that you've long since developed an opinion about. Go look at Dabo. Dabo didn't win a title in his second or third year at Clemson. It took a little while. There was a year in the Orange Bowl where West Virginia hung like 70 on them. So it was never horrific, but it looked for a little while like Dabo wasn't going to be able to overtake uh, Jimbo Fisher and FSU. That's what it looked like for a little while. Now imagine how crazy that sounds now with the benefit of hindsight. Speaking of Jimbo, how's history going to remember him at A&M? Now we may not have to wait until 2050. This could be a 2024 conversation depending on how this year goes with him. That's always a fun question. Um, you know, I used to, I, I mentioned Stone Cold Steve Austin earlier. I used to love watching pro wrestling. One of my least favorite parts of the entire genre, if you will, is not the performance art itself. I, I don't like the, the subculture the internet created of this entire world where every fan thinks that they're inside. Every fan's in on it. Every fan uses terminology like you would only hear once upon a time spoken backstage at a wrestling event by people inside the business. And I, I hate, hate, hate the culture in wrestling fandom where everyone wants to know what's going to happen. Makes no sense to me. Makes no more sense than seeking out spoilers for the next episode of Barry or Succession. Two great shows going on right now. And um, so I hate that. I don't try and do that with college football. Make no mistake, yeah, yeah, I have prediction fun just like the rest of you, but I'm totally fine sitting here not knowing what the future holds. I'm completely fine not putting together a list of the top 10 coaches that I think will be in 2027. I'll just let it come to me. I'm fine with that. Let us move on here. We had a question I don't think I've ever had asked to me before. DJ hit us up from Salt Lake City, Utah. He said, when you watch game film, do you watch the whole game, sections of the game, or highlights. I guess it's all of the above. Obviously, we're on the road during the season, so anytime we're on the road, I pray, fingers crossed, for a noon kickoff so that the rest of you can be mad, but I can be happy because I get to fly back to Nashville and I can be home that night, which makes watching every other game that happened really easy. But most of the time, I'm flying back to Nashville on Sunday morning because we have a Sunday night show. In that case... It is impossible to have watched every game wire to wire. It's impossible to have even watched the uh, strictly condensed games all snap cut-ups. So sometimes what I'll have people do is, some of you have actually helped me on this before, 
I assign games to certain people, and it is their job to cut up the significant portions of the games, email me a file, and I'll watch hopefully like four or five of the most important games on my flight home, and I may have seen some other ones the night before, and of course I was at whatever I think was the most important game that week. So I guess the answer is all of the above, but I certainly do not ever talk about a game I have not at least put eyeballs on, because that is a recipe to look foolish. It's hard enough to sound like you know what you're talking about when you are talking about a game you watched. It's just quicksand if you're talking about a game that you haven't watched. And you may think that sounds like common sense, but you would be surprised at how many people out there talk about games they did not watch. They may have watched SportsCenter or College Football Final. They may have seen the highlights. Highlights aren't a game. So that's my answer to that. Next up, Trash Can Hokies close dear friend of the program from Northern Virginia, asks, with how the transfer portal has evolved, what is the time frame a new head coach has to succeed? Ten years ago, it felt like a coach was given five years to get his guys. Is that number closer to three years now? I got to be real with you. I do not ever remember a time ten years ago where it felt like you had five years to get your program in order. Ten years ago was 2013. Okay? Think about the coaches that were hired in or around that point. In major college football, I don't remember fan bases saying, welcome aboard. See you in five years. Your five-year check-in is five years away. Better make sure you've got us on the right track. It may not have been quite like it is today, but there was never uh, that much rope and that much freedom and leash that was given to any new head coach at any kind of uh, reputable program. Uh, I do think, though, if you listen to the way the question was worded, that we're in a totally different era now. Uh, I mentioned Lincoln Riley earlier, and Lincoln Riley has had a big effect on this because Lincoln Riley was the guy, the first major move in the transfer portal era that showed what you can do in the transfer portal era. And he showed that you can come into a program that has prestige but is down, like USC, and you can just go get a ton of guys And you also have that NCAA rule, which I think a lot of people don't realize exists, and that is there is not a 25-person limit if you're a new coaching staff. You can go get more than 25, and that is a golden ticket to be able to flip a roster. Dion's doing it right now. Lincoln Riley did do it. And I think in the future, if you're hired, let's just say there was a job opening at Tennessee. Let's say there was a job opening at Oklahoma right now, and there was last year. But just pretend with me for a second. No one is looking around saying, hey, you got even three years. They want results immediately. I don't know if that's the best thing for the sport. I don't know if that's the best thing to have as a new norm. But I think it's reality. I think a lot of these guys know it too. That's also why when you look at the way contracts are structured, that's why there are so so much um, buyout I guess, the, I guess what I'm trying to say is I guess the buyout's so big and, and everyone wonders, why are, the, why are those buyouts so big? Well, that's why. Because it's really hard to get a coach to agree to come to your program if you, and, and understand the landscape if you don't build a safety net under him. You build the safety net in the form of a giant buyout, then guys are willing to take that on a little bit more. But when you see these coaches fired and you, you want to get mad, I can't believe they, they're giving him this much money not to coach. Well, that wasn't the plan. That was just something that was necessary to be worked in the contract because of how crazy the expectation level was going to be for the job that he took. So I think that's 
probably not going anywhere. Uh, but at the same time, let's just see. Now, we, we've seen Lincoln Riley do it at USC. The Deion Sanders situation at Colorado is so beyond the scope right now. I'm, I'm not even going to use That's an outlier. That is a Malcolm Gladwell outlier. And we're going to use the Lincoln Riley situation as the more like the baseline for what may be mm, within the boundary of, of expectation if you hire a new coach. It's going to be hard to do it like he's done. But yeah, you could theoretically do that. The part I don't like, but it is what it is and I've got to live with it. I don't like the aspect where a coach moves programs and then a bunch of the players come with him. Because that's tough. I know there's nothing I can do about it. And I know, yes, the players should have the freedom to do it. I'm not even arguing that there should be a rule against it. I'm just telling you, I personally am not a fan of when a coach goes from one place to the other and then they gut their own roster and they all tag along. Again, it's legal. It, there's, there's no punitive measure that should be taken against you if you do it. I'm giving you my personal preference. My personal preference is to not see that happen. But Josh... Why should the coach be able to leave and the players shouldn't? You, did you hear what I said? I said they should be able to. I just said I don't like it. I don't like baby carrots either. You should feel free to serve them. Just not a big fan of them. Oh, next up, Athens, Alabama checking in. How strong, asks Greg, is the desire from national media to see Bama take a nosedive this year? National media, Greg said, not fans. So you, you all listening right now, if you're a Bama fan, you hate this. If you're not, yeah, you pull for him to nosedive, and you should. That's fine. But the national media pulling against Alabama. Certainly, I would not deny that there are some individual members of the national college football media apparatus that would pull against Alabama for whatever reason. I'm not denying that. But by and large, the national media pulls for Alabama. By and large, the national media strokes Alabama. You have to be crazy to suggest otherwise, or either you have just willfully ignored the rule in light of the exception. The exception is, yeah, okay, you can find me some anecdotal examples out there. Also, if someone says something negative in, in, an, in an observatory kind of way about your program, that's not pulling for you to fail. I said... Earlier in this very podcast, I thought Bama showing incredible vulnerability by having to take a quarterback post-spring. That's not me rooting for you to fail. That's just me stating what I think is an obvious fact. So a lot of that's misconstrued sometimes. Uh, when Gary Danielson's doing the CBS Game of the Week and he speaks mildly critical of a player not running a route the right way, he doesn't hate your team. He is doing his job and he is explaining what is happening to an entire world. It's not Eli Gold. It's not Chris Stewart. It's not, it's not the Alabama radio broadcast. Welcome back, by the way, Eli Gold, cancer-free. Rang that bell the other day. Great news. So that's also part of this equation that leads to every fan base thinking that the national media hates their team. I am telling you confidently, the national media greatly benefits from Alabama being good. We do, too. So even inside our walls here, it's really good for business when Alabama's good. It's good for business when Alabama wins. They're not the only program like that. There are a few others out there. There are some that have been down for a long time that I wish would return to prominence for that very reason. But there is not a great swath of the national media pulling against Alabama. Or if they are, they're doing it to their own financial detriment. 
because Bama makes some money. So it's not smart. And sometimes if you don't like them now, if, if you're not a fan of them personally, that's one thing, okay? You can, you can have your, your personal feelings. You can be sitting in the press box and Bama scores a late touchdown to go up and you can say, oh man. But if your work doesn't reflect that, it doesn't really matter. So you can, be, you can be pulling against something, but if it's in your financial best interest to do that thing anyway, you best believe most of these folks are going to do that thing anyway. It sometimes is in your best interest financially to do things that you don't want to do. Nope, I'm not going to do it. I was going to toss the ad read there. But I think too many of you saw it coming. And I know good and well our fine friends in the control room saw it coming. So I'm not going to throw the ad read in there. Just kidding. Yes, I am. Here it is. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Indecisiveness can sometimes lead to the most unexpected of ad tosses. And we're back. Caleb from Johnson City, Tennessee. On a scale from calm, cool, and collected to abject panic, how worried should Florida fans be about their quarterback situation? Already brought in Graham Mertz from the portal. Forget about the Buckner rumblings. That's, that's a moot point now. How worried should Florida fans be? Can I say something here? In the interest of not being labeled a Gator hater, which is one of the most popular brands put on my chest, I'm worried. I'm worried. I don't think Florida is going to be great at quarterback this year. It is against my ethos to normally say these sorts of things in the spring. I can, hope, I can, of course, hope I'm wrong about this. But man, not a lot of confidence has been instilled in me looking at the Florida quarterback situation. Now, Billy Napier talked about how they had evaluated all the quarterbacks out there who were available, and they thought Graham Mertz was the best, at least at the time they evaluated the, the crop of quarterbacks who were out there. When, when Buckner went in the portal from Notre Dame, I thought there may be some Florida smoke. And Alabama got in the way of that. And I don't really know if they were going to pursue him or not. But that's, like I said, that's neither here nor there. He's going to Alabama. So it looks like they're, they're going to ride or die with Graham Mertz and Jack Miller. And the standard at Florida has to be restated here. The standard at Florida is to compete for the SEC East. It is not to make a bowl game. That's why I'm speaking. If you were, if you were Mississippi State this year, and Graham Mertz was your starting quarterback, and your standard was, let's make sure we make a bowl game. That'd be different. Uh, State's probably better at quarterback, by the way, than Florida this year with Will Rogers. So, So that's a poor example. My point is, if your standard was lower, I'd speak differently. 
my concern is directly in proportion to what your standard and expectation level should be. Florida should not be stepping back. Uh, Florida should not, Florida's not shackled with NCAA chains or anything like that. They are in a mess of their own making. The Jaden Rashada situation went the way it went. But look, I don't know if Rashada was going to be ready to start for Florida this year. I don't know if he's going to be ready to start for Arizona uh, this, this year. Arizona State, my bad. So, yeah, I, don't, I, I, I wish I could paint a rosier picture, but yeah, it is concerning. And unlike at Alabama, where they've got quarterback questions, but they've got a loaded roster elsewhere to where you can look at other portions of that team and say, well, they could lean on this. They could lean on that. Florida doesn't have a lot of that. That's a, that's a big problem. And see, I'm a believer in Billy Napier, but this is where things can get thrown in the blender. Because if they have a bad year too, then you have trouble convincing kids to come play there. You have trouble keeping your fan base bought in. There's negative energy that works its way in. You don't get benefit of the doubt because you've never done it at the Power 5 level. And so that's how you derail a train before it can ever get up to speed and show you what it's capable of. Oh, Speaking of, um, speaking of texts that I had, I read you a DM earlier. It was rotisserie chicken related. Oh, I got something better for you guys. Now, management did not share this with me with the express intent for me to share it publicly. But we are in the content creation business. Are we not? Are we not? Yes, we are. So management hits me up earlier today and says... Have I told you about my flaky landscaping situation? Now, you got to understand, in my world, landscaping is a couple of rows of grass outside my apartment. In the management world, in the gated community kingdom sort of world, man, it is expansive. There are massive lawns. You've got ornaments. You've got fountains. You've got a little elephant shooting water out of its trunk. That's the world management lives in. So when they've got a landscaping situation, it's akin to having an emergency at a national park. There could be a lot of acreage at risk. And so management hits me up and asks me, did I tell you about my landscaping situation? I said, no, go on. This dude sends me a screenshot of a text message where he is talking to his landscape guy. And the landscape guy has shown up and unloaded a several bags of mulch. Who knows how many dozen it takes to mulch the entirety of management's yard. But he has to leave the mulch there, and then he's going to come back, right? So he's going to come back on like Tuesday. Tuesday comes and goes, no landscape guy. Wednesday, no landscape guy. Thursday, no landscape guy. Management sends a very snarky text on Friday. Where are you at? I thought you were going to be here. I'm starting to get a little aggravated. And all of a sudden, there's a text that comes back, and the text reads, he is currently in jail for parole violation. That's all the info I have. So... I tell you that story to tell you, hey, take comfort, folks. The 1% are suffering out there, too. Hate to see it. On a related note, if any of you are free on Saturday, you probably make a healthy penny or two by just going and mulching management's house. Let's get one more out of the way here. Taylor hit us up from Dearborn, Michigan. He said, are you finally going to acknowledge Michigan recruiting? Yeah, here we go. You ready? Three, two, one. Michigan's got the number one class in the 2024 recruiting cycle. Why do people talk like I've been ignoring something that hasn't happened? Michigan hasn't been recruiting like this. Therefore, I would not have talked about them this way. I've never said they suck either. I have said, point blank, I hope that Michigan can 
parlay these couple of playoff runs into recruiting at a higher level because that's normally the way it works. And they have. And so in that order, I've watched it happen. And now I'm, I'm looking at the results on my computer screen. Yeah, good for Michigan. Michigan, Ohio State are 1-2, by the way, in the, in the 2024 recruiting rankings. Now, we also understand another key point that many of you have undoubtedly already yelled at your phone or your radio or where, TV, wherever you're listening. And that is, yes, friends, it is April. So we have a long way to go even before the early signing day. But Michigan is normally not a, a victim of multiple decommitments. In fact, no one really is. It's a myth. Most of the kids that you get to commit early do end up signing. It's, it's just this comfort food that people use when they lose out on a kid to say, oh, it's early, he'll decommit. Actually, statistically, he probably won't. He's probably like 85 or 90% likely to commit and sign with the same program he committed to. So Michigan's sitting here with one five-star, 10 four-stars. They've got a 91.87 overall average player rating. I think that number may go higher. They've got 14 overall commits. And like I said, it's Michigan and Ohio State 1-2, Georgia, LSU, Penn State 3-4-5. Now also... You scroll down this list a little bit further, and you realize there are some programs that haven't even started to make their move yet. So like Notre Dame was number one in the country this time last year, around this time last year. Notre Dame still had a good class, but they did not finish top five. Michigan probably will end up finishing really, really high. I don't know if it's going to be number one, but man, they're well on their way. So yes, yes, here you go. Good old-fashioned golf clap to Jim Harbaugh and his staff doing exactly what they should be doing with the success that they've had. That is the natural law of the college football universe. That's the way it's supposed to work. I appreciate you guys being tuned in. Sincerely, I do. Make sure you tell five friends about our show. We had one of you chime in the other day and say, wow, this show's really well produced. I can't believe you've only got X amount of subscriptions. And I thought to myself, you know what? If I said that, it'd make me sound like a jerk. But since one of you said it, I'm going to repeat it. So I, I posted it on Instagram. Yeah, a lot of people here work really hard to make this show look good. All I have to do is talk. But a lot of people work really hard to make this thing happen. Director Collins, junior producer and director Bradley, producer Jesse, just behind the wall here, pouring sweat, just, just laboring away to get this put together. If you don't want to subscribe for me, subscribe for them. And I appreciate you doing it in the process. For every name I just mentioned, I'm Josh Bate. Thanks so much. We'll be back Sunday night with Late Kick Live. Until then, take care and God bless you.